It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm joined by your host, CNHI Sports Indiana executive editor and Colts beat writer, George Bremer. This week, we look ahead to game four against the Seahawks, go one-on-one with linebacker John Simon, and answer your burning Colts questions. But first, we have to talk about the really big news from the Browns game. The Colts got their first victory of the season, holding on to defeat Cleveland 31-28. I don't know about most Colts fans, George, but I really thought that one was going to slip away. I don't think you were alone. I'll just say that. The fourth quarter got really hairy there. The Browns, uh, they they came to life. They made some big plays. I think the Colts, I don't think the Colts, Chuck Pagano admitted the Colts kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, uh, went conservative, I think both on offense and defense. And there was just enough time left in the game for the Colts to hold on. I think, you know, if they had played another quarter, that game had gone to overtime. Who knows how it ends? But uh, the way things finish up, Malik Hooker gets a second interception of the year, and, and that puts a capper on a game that really at this point in time, the Colts are in no place to, to quabble over how they get wins. Just go out, find a way to win a game, and move forward. Conservative play is really something I think that has been a – Let's call it a symptom of Chuck Pagano's regime, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, I think it's something that you've seen over the past six years, and it's something that really wasn't a big surprise on Sunday because when they got that twenty-eight to seven lead, and especially when they entered the fourth quarter with the twenty-eight to fourteen lead, you kind of knew that was going to be Chuck's protocol. That that's what he does in those situations. He was going to try to run the ball, try to to milk as much of the clock as possible, and you know. In this case, more than maybe in some others, there there was some rationale behind that because you had Jacoby Brissett, who's really just in his was his second start with the team and in his fourth start uh, overall. You want to try to protect him as much as you can. You don't want to put too much on his plate. Uh, and honestly, if Jack Muhort doesn't get called for a holding penalty on the, on the one long run out by Brissett in the fourth quarter the game ends a lot differently. The Colts were still up at 10 by 10 at that point. They were going to at least add a, a field goal. The Browns were out of timeouts. There was only about five and a half minutes to go. So they realistically, even just running the ball three times, could have pushed the lead to 13 and had about three, three and a half minutes left in the game at that point. So there were mistakes that added up to it as well. It wasn't all one thing or another, but I think it, when you go back through the history of Chuck Pagano's tenure, it's something that you see a lot. The Colts have won a lot of those games anyway. They've lost a few of them as a result of it. And uh, it's something that I think long-term, they've got to find a way to fix that. But as long as Andrew Luck's still out, like I said before, I don't know how much you can really quibble with, with the way things go. You know, you got to find a way to win any way you can do it. And whether that's by three or by 21, it really doesn't make much difference. Turning to this week's game, Andrew Lux still isn't practicing, but it really sounds like we're finally seeing some light at the end of that tunnel. Absolutely. And I think there was a sense of anger from the fan base early on when Pagano came out on Wednesday and said, look, he's not going to practice this week. Some people felt like maybe they had been cheated or lied to. I want to make one thing really clear right up front. On on Monday, when Pagano first broached the topic, he said there are no guarantees. We are hoping he'll be on the field. He never said he would be. 
Now, though, it does sound like he'll be on the field next week. From what, what we heard today, what we've heard from Chuck Pagano uh, this week, it certainly sounds like there's he's at a point in his throwing progression where he's a week away. And so I would expect next Wednesday you'll see Andrew Luck out there in practice. And because of that, the Week 6 game is a Monday night game. It'll be interesting. He definitely won't play against San Francisco. I can guarantee you that because he's not going to come back one week and play that Sunday. It's just not going to happen. But the Week 6 game in Tennessee is really interesting because it is a Monday night game. They have the extra day. I think that becomes the 50-50 game now. And then if not then, I would expect that you'd see him Week 7 at home against Jacksonville. So at least there's an end point now that you can kind of point towards. I think that's when one of the most frustrating things through this entire process is that nobody's had any real idea of, of when this might end. And now you at least can kind of have a destination, have some kind of an idea. And, and I really think from, from the way everything sounds, he'll be back at practice next week, next Wednesday. We'll hear from him for the first time since July. That'll be interesting to see what he's got to say. And then I think week six or week seven, he'll be back on the field with the team. And so it's those kind of things that I think have created a little bit of excitement, a little bit of positive momentum for this football team after a really, really rough start to the season. So that means Jacoby Brissett, still the starter for Seattle and a really big challenge for him in particular but also the entire team will be playing in Seattle surrounded by the 12s and all of that noise they make how has the team been preparing this week for that noise yeah this is really an interesting week because believe it or not the Colts as a franchise have never played a game at CenturyLink Field they haven't played because of quirk and the way the schedule works they haven't played at Seattle since 2005, and that game was at the University of Washington. That was while they were finishing up the new stadium. So they have never, ever played in this field. Frank Gore is one of the few guys on the roster who's even played there. Obviously, he has a wealth of experience having played there every year with, with the 49ers, but they've ramped up the, the sound at practice. Those speakers are as loud as I've ever heard them, and they're also, though, trying to approach it as not that different. Even though they admit this is the loudest stadium in the NFL, it's a unique place, it's different than anywhere else that, that you can go, they also say everywhere you are on the road, you have a silent count, you work on that. So they're trying to approach that part of it the same way while understanding this isn't going to be your normal Sunday. And, and I think it's so important because you see the Seahawks in the way they feed off that noise. They they probably have the best home field advantage right now in the NFL because of it. The way that, that, that Pete Carroll coaches his system, the way the roster's built, they they feed off that emotion. They feed off that energy in the stadium. And I think it just it can really snowball on you quickly. We've seen that a lot up there with, with plenty of teams, you know, how quickly it can go the wrong way. And especially when it's on prime time like it's going to be, uh, it's it's going to be a major factor in Sunday night's game. Well, I wish I could be heading out to Seattle with you this week, but I won't be able to go. But I'm excited that you're going to get to go see that stadium and experience those fans and that noise, um, as well as the city of Seattle, which I love. Um, so let's move on to our next segment of the show, Inside the Locker Room. And George goes one-on-one -on -one this week with my man, the man, linebacker John Simon. It's time to go Inside the Locker Room with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. Our guest this week is outside linebacker John Simon. Uh, leads the team right now with two sacks. 
is probably the most versatile. Not probably. He's definitely the most versatile of the linebackers. He's made an impact in the run game. He's made an impact, obviously, with pressure. He can cover. Uh, they can move him around. They can do a lot of different things with him. He's a guy that I think is helping to kind of increase the confidence both internally and externally in this defense. And I think, as you'll hear in, in the interview, he's also a guy that thinks that even though things are starting to roll in the right direction, uh, there's still a long way to go. A lot of work to be done for this team, and, and I think that's a good attitude to have. So here is our talk with John Simon. What kind of challenge does a guy like Russell Wilson present just in terms of effort and making sure the play's not over? Well, everyone knows he's a terrific quarterback, and, and he's a guy who really keeps that offense going. They have a lot of weapons, but he is the weapon, and you always have to account for him where he is in the pocket, and he can make plays with his feet as, as well as his arm. You guys had a guy last week that was sort of like that, too. Is it good preparation, back-to-back weeks, having Deshaun Kaiser to prepare for Wilson? Well, it definitely helps us. Uh, Kaiser's a great player as well, did, did really well coming in here uh, as a rookie and playing his first couple games, and, and Russell Wilson's the experienced version of that. So uh, we're going to have to be on our A game. We're going to have to practice all week preparing for him and you know, do well and execute on Sunday. A lot of talk, obviously, about the offense having to deal with the noise. Is there anything? Is there any challenge in that regard on the defensive side? Like I said, we're going to have to. Their scheme is is a tough one to defend, and and they have a good offense. And um, you know, it's another week where everyone's going to have to do their one eleventh or do their job for us to be successful. When you had your sack last week, was kind of an effort sack. Was a play that that Kaiser had extended. How do you, as a defensive player, how do you stay in that play and, and keep not give up? I guess on it. Well, <laughs> that's what you're supposed. That's what I'm here to do: is, is give great effort on every play. Uh, these guys on the defense and, and the whole team deserve that kind of effort, and I'm going to continue to do so. You guys have got a lot of pressure in the last couple of weeks. Is there growing confidence right now with, with the front seven? I think so. Um, you know, the, the first week we got down so quick, we didn't have too many opportunities to get after the quarterback. They were kind of just trying to play smash mouth football, but. Uh, you know, it's something we have to continue to build off of. We've shown improvement, and we have to continue to make those strides. Everybody's talked all week, you know, the, the, all year. The defense is going to improve every week. Do you feel like you're on that progression, that, that that's what's happening? Yeah, I think so, so far. But it's only been three weeks out of 16 and hopefully more. So uh, definitely have a long ways to go, but uh, we're up to the challenge. Thanks to John Simon for joining us on Horseshoes and Hand Grenades this week. George, I think we all knew coming from the Texans that John Simon was going to have a major impact on this defense uh, and a chance to do some really good things for the Colts. He hasn't let us down. No, and you know, and I think what's really interesting about it is this was a big opportunity for him because he was in that Texans defense and there is so much talent. He was playing behind guys like Jadavian Clowney and Whitney Merciless, who are some of the best at their position in, in, in the NFL. And now he's an everyday guy. He's a regular starter and it's really the first time in his NFL career that's happened and you've seen him really seize that opportunity make plays and really make a difference for this Colts defense so I think he's there's a lot of reasons you look at the defense overall and I think they're 31st in scoring and there's a lot of reasons to be down and obviously week one in LA really throws off that that curve uh, but I think John Simon's one of the many reasons to be optimistic about the future for this defense he's young he's athletic He's everything they talked about they were trying to do this offseason. And, you know, he's one of the guys at the forefront of that movement. We've got a couple other sound bites to share with you this week on Inside the Locker Room. Let's first hear from running back Frank Gore on playing in Seattle. Especially when my son was there when he make, make a big run. <laughs> and, um, you know, the crowd go crazy. They used to throw the skittles up. 
you know, it was, it's, it's, you know, and then, you know, when I was there with San Fran, it was like we we didn't like each other, so they was going yeah, to ask a while. So, you know, it was um, it's, it's a tough stadium. At its loudest, at its angriest. It'll be interesting to see how they, they turn out on Sunday. Up next, we've got center Ryan Kelly, who's edging closer to making a return to the field. The last time that I actually we got down in a stance like that and mm-hmm. hit somebody was uh, against Detroit. So it's been, you know, seven, eight weeks or so. But yeah. uh, I think it's kind of like riding a bicycle. So, you know, once you, you know, a couple practices in or so, you start getting used to it. But I think just conditioning-wise and, and get back into football shape, it's, it's amazing how fast you get out of it. So, um, yeah, that, that'll certainly be, that'll certainly come with time. But, uh, you know, working every day just to stay in shape and, and get stronger. So, uh, looking forward to it. I think one thing we've seen, and Ryan kind of talked about it here, all the guys that are injured, it's a process coming back now. They're not just throwing guys back into the mix. They're not rushing anything. And and same thing's happened with Ryan Kelly. He is taking limited snaps this week. He'll probably, much like Bonte Davis did last week, he'll probably get most of those snaps on the scout team, helping the team prepare for the starters they're going to face on Sunday. And then maybe next week you guys start pointing toward a possible return for Ryan Kelly. Finally, we'll hear from the newly promoted wide receiver and Warren Central grad, Krishan Hogan. Um, just, I mean, the same thing that it meant when I was, you know, trying to get here in the first place. All the guys that reach out and say that, you know, I give them hope. And, um, you know, so hopefully I can just keep on being that type of guy for them. There's an interesting note on Hogan. He is the first player in Marion program history to be on a game day roster. They've had guys in training camps before. They've had guys on practice squads before. Krishan Hogan on Sunday will be the first guy in the history of that program to be on the game day roster. Now, we'll wait. It's still it's hard to say the way the numbers work out, injuries and things will have an impact, whether or not he's active on game day, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but it's a really great thing. There aren't too many guys that get to be a first anymore to get to be a trailblazer like that. And so for him to have that opportunity, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And, and to play with his own former high school teammate, Deshaun Bond, the center, also from Warren Central, uh, just a really great moment for Warren Central uh, as they look at the Colts and, and what their program has had, the impact their program has had on the hometown football team. All right, that's it for Inside the Locker Room this week. It's time for me to reach into the mailbag and quiz George with your burning Colts questions. Pony Express is up next. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL. It's the Pony Express. Welcome to the mailbag segment of our show where George answers your burning Colts questions. Let's get to our first question from at Joshua I. Allen. He would like to know, does the play of our young defensive backs affect Vontae Davis's contract situation? You know, I think it has to. Uh, Just from the situation, just in case to get everybody up to speed, Vontae's in the last year of his deal. Uh, I think he's 29, so he's right on that edge now of how long term of a deal do you want to give him? And it may put it into a situation where the Colts might be less willing to offer him the really big money, and he may want to go and and look and see what he can find elsewhere. Uh, It's a good problem to have from a Colts standpoint, obviously. If they can get Quincy Wilson back and healthy, it'll be really fun to see what they want to do. And he's not been practicing yet this week, so we'll see how that goes. But it'll be really fun to see what they do with with the personnel the rest of this year and how, how they kind of figure that puzzle out. But... I think at this point, it has to affect Vontae Davis's contract situation just from the standpoint that the better the young guys play, the less leverage he has moving forward. Speaking of defensive backs, at Special K3173 wants to know what the word is on Quincy Wilson. Is he going to be out? 
And would Melvin likely start opposite Avante if Avante is back this week? Yeah, Quincy's going to be a guy that obviously is going to be monitored very closely throughout the week. I don't think it's really a long-term situation. For one thing, every time it is, Pagano always uses the term week-to-week, and we haven't heard that with Quincy Wilson yet. Uh, the other thing of it is he, he always seems to be 50-50 whether he's going to practice on any given day. So he can't be too far away, but at this point in time, I would bet against him playing uh, in Seattle just because he hasn't practiced in, in more than a week and he didn't start the week on the field this year or this week on Wednesday at least. Uh, as for the other side of it, I think Rashawn Melvin, whether Quincy Wilson is healthy or not, I think Rashawn Melvin has earned that starting spot next to Vontae Davis moving forward. We kind of talked about it in the last answer, but that's going to be one of the most interesting things that they have to work out because – there's a lot of guys coming back, getting healthy, working their way back into that secondary, and they're going to have some good problems to figure out on on where to play guys, how to use guys. It's going to help them be a little bit less predictable too because I think they can use situations where they put three safeties on the field but use situations where they put an extra corner on the field instead. And uh, I think ultimately they're just going to try to get the very best players out there that they can. Uh, but I think right now Rashawn Melvin has proven that he is one of the best of, of that bunch uh, and he's earned that right and I think he will continue to be the starter for the foreseeable future at Zachary Boyd wants to know and we kind of talked about this in the last segment is Krishan Hogan going to play any kind of role in this week's game I think the biggest impact he would have if he's active is, is on special teams he was out there really early Wednesday working out in, in those you know the gunner kind of situations and and I think that's where you could expect him early but the fact is, the guy's 6'3", 222 pounds. He's quick. He's athletic. He brings a skill set that is rare on this roster. It's very similar skill set to what they've seen from Dante Moncrief. And so he's a guy, I think, as the weeks go on, he's going to bear watching because Moncrief has been up and down. He's been kind of not really satisfying uh, completely so far this season. And I think as if that continues, you open a door for a kid like Krishan Hogan, and it'll be something that, that's worth keeping an eye on. At Day Blueman asks, what's the role of a head coach on a team that has an offensive and defensive coordinator? Does he call plays on either side of the ball? And I'm assuming he wants to know about the Colts in that situation too. Yeah, because it's different everywhere. You know, Bruce Arians does call plays. He's, he's basically the offensive coordinator as well out in Arizona. That's something that he felt like he wanted to do and – uh, it was the most fun part of the job for him. He didn't want to be a head coach if he had to give that up. There are a couple guys around the league who call the defenses still as the head coach. Chuck Pagano, more the CEO type of guy. His role is really before the week, before game day during the week, setting the game plan, trying to figure out what packages they want to use the most, how they want to attack, in this case, Seattle's offense. On game day, Ted Monachino makes all the defensive calls. Rob Jadzinski makes all the offensive calls. Tom McMahon makes all the special teams calls. Basically, on game day, Pagano's main role is whether to go for it or not on fourth down. He's done all the work ahead of time. And so at that point, his lieutenants, in this case his coordinators, kind of carry out the plan. At Niswanger 37's question this week, do you expect Clayton Gathers to make a full recovery and contribute right away when he comes off a of pup? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. It depends on what your definition of right away is. I can tell you at this point, the Colts expect him to make a full recovery. Uh, Ted Monachino mentioned him last week. It's week six, I believe, that he can come off the physically unable to perform list. He's got a neck injury, which you're always concerned about. 
but he's been out there a lot. We've seen him off and on. I've actually seen him more than I've seen Andrew Luck this offseason, just in terms of jogging around before or after practice or just being visible around the team. Uh, he, he's a guy that obviously brings something to the secondary that even as well as the young guys are playing, they don't have anywhere else. That physicality, that ability to, to step up into the box and stop the run, there's really nobody else on the roster that does that quite the way that, that Clayton Gathers does as a defensive back. As far as when that impact can be expected, it's a lot like what you've seen with Ryan Kelly, what you've seen with Vontae Davis, what you're currently seeing with Andrew Luck. It's not going to be right away. You know, week six, he can come off after that game in Tennessee. He can come off, pup. He can start practicing. I believe they have three weeks at that point that he can practice with the team and not count towards the roster. And at the end of those three weeks, they have to make a decision whether to activate him or to put him on IR. I think they're going to activate him, but I think it's going to be towards the tail end of that. I would think week eight, week nine, before he's out there on the field because he's got to get back in football shape. And that's going to take some time. We've seen that with the other guys, and I think you'll see the same thing with him. At Blizzake has a question about Dante Moncrief. If he is able to get his production back on track, how likely is an extension? Yeah, that's going to be, I think, one of the bigger questions. It goes back to kind of what we were talking about with Vontae Davis, and it somewhat depends on what the other guys does do. If a kid like Krishan Hogan can come in and – give you a lot of what you thought Dante Moncrief was going to give you, it's going to hurt Moncrief's leverage and it's going to, to decrease the chances of him re-signing here in Indy. Uh, but first and foremost, you know, the, the most important part of that question is if he gets his production back on track. So far to this point, three weeks into the season, you have to feel like he's been one of the disappointments. He's a guy who, when he was healthy in training camp, really looked like he was ready for a breakout year. And so far, whether it's miscommunication lack of time with Jacoby Brissett, whatever it may be, you haven't seen that big game yet from Moncrief out there. He really struggled in week two against Arizona, and he really wasn't, I mean, he wasn't a huge factor against the Browns, and probably most tellingly, he didn't start that game. Kamar Aiken was the starter opposite T.Y. Hilton. It was only after Aiken left with the concussion that, that Moncrief got out there and got the snaps, so Right now, as things currently stand, I would have to say the chances are pretty low. And at Pharaoh underscore Micah, with our final question this week, who or what will be the Colts' X factor to get him a win in Seattle? Yeah, I'm going to say what, because I really think, and it's something the team has struggled with uh, throughout Pagano's time. However, they did a good job of it in week two. Uh, not a great job of it against Cleveland, but overcame it. They need a fast start. They absolutely have to get a fast start up there because this Seattle team, like we talked about earlier, feeds off that crowd, feeds off the energy that, that it can create in that stadium. And if the Colts fall behind to Seattle, not only is the crowd going to get in the game and make things a lot more difficult, you're going to let that pass rush in Seattle pin its ears back. You're going to become one-dimensional, and that's going to play into the strengths of that Seattle defense. So... I think it's really important that they get off to a fast start, keep the game close in the early going so that they can keep the whole playbook open to them throughout the day. That's it for our Mailbag Pony Express. George, why don't you tell the listeners how they can get their questions to you? Yeah, absolutely. The best way, you can always hit me up on Twitter, at GM Bremer. You can also go to my professional Facebook page, which is George M. Bremer. When we come back, we'll award this week's horseshoes and hand grenades. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. 
it's time for Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, where George pits the things this week that are in the Colts' favor and the things that are going to work against them. George, it looks like your first horseshoe this week is momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Getting a win is usually the best serum that any team can have. It covers up a lot of what else may be going wrong anywhere else in the locker room, anywhere on the field. We talked about it before. It wasn't the prettiest of wins. They had to hold on at the end to get it done. But that win gives this team for the first time in 2017 a little bit of momentum as they head up to Seattle, a little more confidence on both sides of the ball, a little more belief that things can get done uh, the way they're currently constructed. And that's never a bad thing. It's always something that that can kind of travel with you and, and see if they can build on that. And your first hand grade nade this week is an angry Seattle defense. Yeah, I think a lot of people right now are kind of writing the Seahawks defense off. They're saying they struggled all year, and, and they have by their standards. But you got to figure right now that's that's a team that's not licking its wounds, that's sitting there chomping at the bit to get back out there and to, to have a performance like what they've been known for in, in the recent past. And they've got themselves an inexperienced quarterback coming in, to their stadium I'm sure from a Seattle standpoint this is a game on on prime time uh national tv that they would love to take advantage of change kind of the narrative right now that's going on with that defense and there's still an awful lot of talent over there uh, whether it's Richard Sherman whether it's Earl Thomas whether it's Cam Chancellor Michael Bennett you name it Bobby Wagner uh there's so much talent on that Seattle defense and you figure sooner or later they're due for a breakout game the Colts just hope that it waits at least another week to happen and the next horseshoe goes to an improving healthy roster yeah you know and even in the little bit of time since we chose this horseshoe and 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 now uh we've seen some hiccups in that jack doyle was a surprise on the injury report wednesday uh that's somebody they obviously can't afford to lose i'm not saying he will be out but he was limited in practice wednesday Deshaun boyd as well it limited on wednesday uh We'll see how they respond on Thursday. That's how it started with Quincy Wilson last week. Uh, but that being said, Vontae Davis is barring setbacks, going to be back, play, make his season debut this week. Ryan Kelly's back in practice for the first time. He's probably a week or two away from his first play, first game experience of the season. And then, of course, the big one, Andrew Luck, probably coming back to practice next week, could be back out there week six or week seven. Uh if they can continue to build off the momentum they got, Jacoby Brissett can continue to play at the level that he's played at. The defense can continue to improve. It seems like the arrow is pointing in the right direction health-wise. You know, who knows? There could be some brighter days ahead for this team. And a hand grenade working against them this week will, of course, be Russell Wilson. Yeah, you know, Vontae Davis had really the quote of the day Wednesday. He was talking about Wilson's ability to extend plays, and he was saying that you've got to – absolutely follow your receiver anywhere he goes he said if he goes to the concession stand and buys popcorn you got to be right there with him you got to be pouring the popcorn for him and that's that's really the mentality the defensive backs have to have because Russell Wilson he's like a magician back there I know everybody's seen it happen he can escape that rush for what feels like minutes at a time and it puts a lot of stress on your secondary, but also in Wilson's case, it's not just moving around and getting away. He gets set, he's got a good strong arm, and he will turn it into a big play. So you've got to stay with your man throughout the day. There's no time off when you're playing against the Seahawks. Russell Wilson makes a big difference. You saw Deshaun Kaiser kind of hurt the Colts with that a little bit last week. As John Simon said in the interview earlier, 
This is the experienced version of Deshaun Kaiser. So it's it's going to be a tough challenge. Russell Wilson is is a unique player in this league. I know the Seattle offense has struggled, but much like I said with the defense, a lot of talent over there, a lot of guys hungry for a breakout, and the Colts have to make sure that they can make that delay that for at least one more week. And the final pick this week is a horse grenade, meaning we don't really know which way it's going to fall. But that's Jacoby Brissett's first road start. Yeah, Jacoby Brissett deserves every bit of praise that he's gotten. His two starts, I think, go beyond any reasonable expectation for what he was going to be able to do just coming in on September 2nd, learning this offense, learning his new teammates. Uh, you know, Rob Jadzinski was talking about even – before the week leading up to the Arizona game during the week, he didn't know one of the starters' names. He had to ask, you know, who's number such and such. And for him to have performed as well as he has, remarkable. The kid has amazing athleticism. He's got a really good attitude. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's shown that he can be at least the best backup this team's had since Matt Hasselbeck uh, and, and probably a future starter in this league somewhere, somewhere along the line. But this is the first road game, and it's not just any road game. We've talked a lot during this show about what it means to play at Seattle. Here he is in the fifth start of his career going into what everybody says is, is the toughest environment to play in the NFL. How he responds to that could go a long ways toward determining what happens on Sunday night. All right. Well, that's it for horseshoes and hand grenades. Next week, we'll be recapping the Seahawks game and looking ahead to game five at home against San Francisco. That also happens to be the weekend Peyton Manning's statue will be unveiled at the stadium. Should be quite the exciting week. George, before we go, can the Colts beat the Seahawks? Yeah, absolutely they can. We talked a lot throughout the show about the struggles the, the Seahawks have had on offense and defense. Uh, it's definitely a possibility. Will they beat the Seahawks? You know, it worked for me last week, and maybe I should just keep going with it and just say no because you know, the more that I doubt the team, the better they play. Uh, but I, I, I seriously, in, in all earnestness, think that this is a really tough assignment. This is a game, even if Andrew Luck was healthy, even if Ryan Kelly was healthy, even if this team was at full force, this is a massive challenge against a Seahawks team that absolutely doesn't want to drop the one and three. They have everything to play for in this contest. Not that the Colts don't, but I think with, with Indianapolis, in the back of your mind, you can think, got some guys coming back, haven't played a division game yet. One and three wouldn't be the end of the world for them. It wouldn't be what you want, but it's possible they could bounce back from that. With Seattle, there might be some heads rolling if they fall to one and three. So I, I think it's a situation where the Seahawks are going to give them absolutely everything they've got, and I think the Colts might not have the weaponry to, to withstand that yet. The Colts have certainly had the Seahawks numbers in the last couple of years uh, with Andrew Luck at the helm, but with Bursett making his first road start and that atmosphere, I just don't see this moving to 2-2 two and two on the season. Uh, but we'll see. You never that's know. That's why they play the games, right? Yep, that's why. That's it for another week of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Thanks again to John Simon for joining us on the show. I'm still waiting for my pick six or fumble return for touchdown. You gotta, I think you got to go make that request in person. In person. That's the thing. You, it, he's not going to respond until you personally make the request. But that scares me. <laughs> he's an intimidating dude. He is. I've been he around is. a lot of these NFL players, and they don't intimidate me, but he's very intense. He is. He's a football guy. He is definitely a football guy. All right, look for next week's episode online at your local CNHI Sports Indiana website or on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. If you subscribe on iTunes, please give us a star rating so we know how we're doing. 
As always, you can get the latest Colts news, in-game updates, and analysis by following George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And until next time, please remember, especially in these times, the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Bill S. Preston Esquire, be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.